And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is our 2023 third base preview as we roll through our position preview series. And well, compared to our last position preview where we looked at first base, this could be a problematic position. There are more ways to screw it up at third base, you know, because as we will discuss, it falls off in a big way. So you need to have a good plan in place if you want to get top end production or even steady production from the third base spot on your roster this season. The deeper the league, the bigger the problem at hand. So we begin, as we do with all these position previews, looking at the very top of the board. And same as at first base, I do think you could say tier one goes a little beyond the first rounders. It includes the early second rounders as well. So you've got Jose Ramirez, who's pretty much a consensus top five pick right now. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., who does have shortstop eligibility as well. Manny Machado kind of as the first round group. Machado, a bit like Freddie Freeman, where sometimes you see him end up in the early part of round two. And then you've got this toss up right around pick 20 with Raphael Devers and Austin Riley. So there are top end options at the position. Ramirez, I guess the simple question is, are you are you able to find any reason to pass on him in the top five? Like you might just like someone else better, but are we at the point where you're seeing any warts in the profile for Jose Ramirez? No, um, I think that uh, some of the the possible warts that you might see uh, with him too are uh, going to be affected by the the rules changes. Uh, he's a massive pull guy, uh, and he puts a ton of balls in play. So if you have looked at his line before and been like, mm, "Was he going to hit two sixty this year?" You know, he kind of does that every other year. I just don't think this is going to be the year he hits 260. <laughs> I mean, like the year that they changed the shift rules uh, on a guy who pulls the ball over 50 percent of the time a lot. You know, no, I don't. I don't think this is the year. So uh, that's the only weakness I think in his in his profile, other than just the massive disconnect between how he looks and and how good of a player he is. Like I just, I'm yeah. just always like that dude's a, a real athlete he's like a little mini david ortiz <laughs> i don't know it's working for him though yeah still stealing bases still getting to that power still keeping the k rate low still drawing walks and uh yeah i think i, I look at the projections for, for average we've got steamer atc and the bat and the range is 261 to 269 i'd be tempted to take the over even on the higher end outcome of, of that range i think there's a good chance he ends up being more of a 282 90 guy again with those rules changes and and even as he continues to age, I mean, the, the new stolen base rule should keep that that total in the high teens, low 20s for another year or two. I mean, there's just a lot to like in this profile. The only little wart that I saw is that we did see Jose Ramirez swinging at more pitches outside the zone than we've ever seen before in 2022. That's pretty much it. We've seen him do this with low barrel rates before, so I don't look at the 6.6% barrel rate and, and worry about that. 
Uh, I think you're going to see a lower barrel rate for a guy that strikes out as infrequently as Ramirez does. This is just what a steady first rounder looks like as he ages. Yeah, I'm trying to uh, do some spreadsheet work on the fly here. Oh, why is that not working? (laughs) I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at how the sausage is made because I think people have this idea that we're firing on all cylinders all the time, and we're definitely not. <laughs> okay, well, I was trying to pull up his pulled line drives, but uh, that's uh, not going to happen right now, I guess, for uh, spreadsheet reasons. No, I, I'm into that. I, I, You did this uh, cool thing uh, where you have a visual representation of um, dollar values versus ADP, so you can kind of get uh, a sense of the shape of this. And I see uh, very clearly uh, six uh, third basemen that are worth more than 20 bucks and then you've got another i don't know 10 to 12 that are worth uh more than zero so discouraging (laughs) like there's really in between 10 and 20 bucks there's there's some guys but they don't always line up with adp and some of them are just i don't believe right like yandy diaz has like a 13 dollar projection i'm sorry i just don't believe it so if you take away the ones you don't believe, there's like three guys who have a projection between 10 and 20 bucks. It's like feast or famine, baby. Get it early or get it late. Find uh, someone that you think is going to play more than the projections think is going to play. Find someone who's young, who's going to take a massive step forward. Sure, those are, are ways to come out of this with a little bit of extra value. But I think this is a position that you want to prior- prioritize early. Uh, if you do have an early mid first round position, the more I think about Bobby Witt Jr., the more I think if you draft him, you're probably going to go ahead and just use him as a third baseman because of the way this position comes together. I mean, you have the option to use him at short, of course, but I think shortstop is so deep, as we'll talk about in a future episode, you might as well lean into that depth and take advantage of getting a lot of stolen bases from the third base spot on your roster where, yeah, Ramirez runs, Witt runs, but a lot of guys don't offer that. Brian Hayes, we'll talk about later, is one of the few late third basemen that could give you a meaningful contribution in that category as well. So um, I I think as I look at Witt, I, I've talked a lot about some of the flaws and concerns I see. I'm more likely to have him in a non-snake draft situation. That's the way I look at him right now. It's fine. He's a mid-first rounder. There's just guys that go in the late part of the round, even the early part of round two, who I trust more because of their floors. Yeah, it's uh, the the one uh, debate that I think is kind of interesting in uh, this group of of top players because I, I do like all of them and I think they're all fine uh, second rounders in the, in the sort of Machado, Devers, Riley, Arenado group. Um, I actually think that they're all fine second rounders. I know Arenado's ADP is a little bit different than the other ones. Uh, I've seen a lot of like Riley should go over Devers because of the quality of the rest of the team. Uh, And I have some sympathy for that, except that that home park for Devers is a batting average creator. Um, And that's going to turn outs into hits. And that's going to help, you know, even a mediocre lineup produce 100 RBI, I think, for, for Devers. That said, he only had 88 last year. I don't know why. Um, I, I think those are, are legit concerns. I mean, I think the, the I like Devers a little better as a hitter than Devers. I mean, I like Devers a little better as a hitter, just a pure hitter than Riley, right? Yeah, it's the K percentage difference. I mean, I, I this is a trust your gut. What do you believe in? 
you know, skills wise, projections wise, there's not much that separates them. They're almost identical according to the Bat X. One home run extra on Riley's total. I think two more RBIs on the Devers side. Not sure I believe in that. Wobos are the same. Riley showed better power last year, had a better barrel rate, had a better max EV last year. They both draw walks at about an 8% rate. They're both great players. I think because of the age and the expectations when they were prospects, I think Devers, in the minds of a lot of people, still has one more level he can reach, whereas Riley has maxed out, maybe even is an overachiever relative to some of the expectations people had for him as a prospect. I don't know how accurate or true that is. I just think it's it's one of those weird little things that might lead people to want Devers more than Riley, given the choice. Do you like them as much as Machado or more than Machado, by the way, or do you prefer Machado to each of them? I prefer Machado. Okay. I, I figured you might. I think it's a it's it's a combination of like, you know, makes the contact that uh that you want, uh makes better contact, I think, uh, than both of them, uh has the batted ball quality, and then there's not really uh as much uh, there's so it's like the best strikeout rate of the three, right? Um, some of the best uh, plate discipline of the three, and um, and then this this second or third or second or best team situation just happens to be a little bit older. <laughs> Brave like Braves Padres in terms of how good the lineup around those guys are. Once Tatis is back, maybe it favors the Padres. Before Tatis is back, maybe a slight edge to the Braves, but they're both elite lineups. Machado is also going to steal more bases than either of them. You'll get a handful of bags from Machado. You probably won't get more than a couple from Devers, and you might not get any from Riley. You might get zeros from Riley and Devers in that category. You're not necessarily drafting them for that. But the bigger issue, really, at this position is, what happens after this group? Like, There's really no one in this cluster that I'm going to say, don't draft that guy. I think my only warning with this entire group is, I'd rather have someone else where Wit goes. But if you want Wit there, great. He does almost everything, might have a little bit of batting average risk, could still get a lot better. It's the Arenado, Bregman, and then massive fall off. It's like you end up in a spot if your first two players are not a third baseman where you almost have to be willing to jump up Bregman if you don't get Arenado in the third round because the ADP on Nolan Arenado is just behind most of those late second rounders, it's a little bit like the Matt Olson situation at first base in a lot of ways where you're like, okay, it's either him or I wait a little while. And then if I do want to get that last good guy, I probably have to take him ahead of ADP because there's literally no one else close to these players. Yeah, I I, I had that exact same situation happen in a draft and hole that I did. I had Alex Bregman and Gunnar Henderson as the last two third basemen I really wanted to be my starting third baseman. And Gunnar Henderson has, we can talk about it in a second, but it has a large disparity between, uh, as many young players do, between their projection system. So uh, I really felt Alex Bregman was the last safe uh, situation um, and I was at pick, I was in my fifth round pick. So, uh, so pick sort of, uh, 60, 66, I think it was. Um, and I knew that I had to wait, uh, all the way, uh, to like 85, uh, for my next pick and that the ADPs for Bregman and Henderson were under 80, but above 66. You know what I mean? So I had to jump him. 
and I had to jump him on his ADP maybe 10, 12 picks because I just didn't want... I, I'd like Gunnar Henderson, but I also didn't want to let it ride and then lose Gunnar Henderson as well. Because <laughs> if that's the last two and you've got you know 18, you know 20, whatever picks it is before you go again, then yeah, you know you could lose both of them pretty easily. Everybody else can see the tear coming too, right? So I jumped Bregman... Uh, to make sure that I got a third baseman in the, in the group. And, um, you know, I guess the, the decision that led to me having to jump Bregman was taking Brandon Woodruff in the third, three picks ahead of Nolan Arenado. Uh, because otherwise, I wasn't eligible to take any other third baseman uh, unless I really jumped Witt uh, over Tucker, but I really like Kyle Tucker, so... You know, I I needed a, a starting pitcher in the third, I felt, and so I didn't get an Arenado. That meant I had to get Bregman later. What's really strange to me is that for two guys that have been in the league for a long time and have very good track records is the projection system disagreements on Arenado and Bregman. Depending yeah. on which one you look at, <laughs> there's like a strong preference for one over the other. And I think what we're going to see now that there are more systems out there, we're going to see Bregman continue to creep up closer to where Arenado goes. I think that's going to look more like a toss-up in March than it does in January, and then it's looked it's throughout the winter. It's weird to me that the Bat-X has Bregman as worth like almost $4 more than, uh, than Nolan Arenado. Uh, I think uh, it has to do with this, is that um, there was a bit of a spike in the barrel rate for Nolan Arenado last year, and that, um, you know, I know that... Uh, I've had this discussion with Derek Hardy before, which is that no matter what your barrel rate says you deserved last year, you have to regress the barrel rate to their league, their career norms. And so last year he had an 8.2% barrel rate, but the three years before that he had a sub 7% barrel rate. So what, you know, the bat is going to do is regress that barrel rate and recruit and regress the power. However, there is the subjective understanding that Nolan Arenado has spent the last two seasons at driveline increasing his bat speed and that his bat speed has actually increased and that his max EV has increased the last two seasons and his barrel rate has increased the last two seasons. And then he spent this season, this offseason again at driveline uh, working on the same things. So we also know that he pulled more fly balls than he ever had in his career in St. Louis because that was a big Jeff Albert thing. That guy's now with the Mets. That'll be an interesting thing to see is if if the Mets all start pulling fly balls. But Arenado is doing the things that should produce this power and has really, you know, I think done the studying. And I have a bias towards that. So I'm going to actually, as much as I like the bat projections, take the steamer projections uh, for Nolan Arenado this year based on just the sort of surrounding narrative, I guess. It feels like he's been around forever, but I think when you know more about how he made those adjustments, how he's increased the bat speed, it gives you a reason to believe that going back to previous barrel rates is not necessarily the most likely outcome in this case, even though in general player pool, that's the right approach. Without that added information, that's the safer sort of assumption to make. Um, I am finding that the only flaw with the Arenado and, and Bregman grouping is that if you're drafting one of these two you're passing on some of the really nice sources of stolen bases at other positions so you just have to have a good plan in place for finding some steals a little bit later on and we're talking about 
you know, round six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If you've you've got a handful of guys that you really like that go in that range, they're going to run enough. No problem at all. But just be mindful of. I ended up, yeah, I ended up taking Tim Anderson because I took Bregman as well. Because you're passing on like Randy Arozarena potentially. You're passing on Luis Robert. You're passing on Cedric Mullins. Like those guys are all solid stolen base sources, right? So just know that there's going to be a cost later for for taking one of these guys as early as they go. Strangely, in my draft, um, the stolen base, like just in terms of one pick to the next, um, the stolen bases that I, I, I gave up were Tommy Edmond and Corbin Carroll, um, who, which I was actually okay with. Um, but taking Tim Anderson, because I felt I'm falling behind a little bit in steals, I did take him over Willie Adamas, um, who I really like this year. So there was a choice there of, hey, here's an oft injured guy who steals bases, but um, might be if he has a good you know, season, he's projected to be equal value to Willie Adamas. But Willie Adamas has been more healthy and is like a 30 homer hitting shortstop. Um, you know, I, I did make I did have to sacrifice. You're right. There are sacrifices you make. And it's never it never feels good to jump bit a guy to get the last of a tier. You feel desperate. You feel like you've done something wrong. I think by projection values, especially by the bat, I did okay. I got, uh, you know, the bat says Bregman is, is worth almost $20, $19, and I got him in the, in the, uh, as my, my fifth pick. That's, that's fine, you know. But it meant I didn't get Corey Seager. It meant I didn't get uh, Willie Domus later. It meant a whole bunch of other things. And, and, it, and it meant that I did jump him versus ADP. So it's something to think about. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So you mentioned Gunnar Henderson just a few moments ago and that you were thinking about him as that fallback option, but then concerned if someone else swooped in that you'd miss out. So it sounds like you've got a pretty lofty expectation for him with a a full run of playing time over the 2023 season in Baltimore. Of course, a late season debut where he showed us some pretty impressive underlying skills, 9.8% barrel rate, nice high walk rate. K rate wasn't that bad either at 25.8%. It was only 34 games, but a lot to like in that profile. You go back to the minor leagues last year between double-A and triple-A. Gunnar Henderson was 22 of 25 as a base stealer, so very efficient. You think about a guy that should get on base a lot, who runs well with the new rules, he can make value that way, or he could just get to that power right away because we saw 19 homers at those two minor league stops as well. We saw four in the big leagues during his brief time in Baltimore late in the year. Yeah, I I understand uh the bats sort of outlook on this and that, you know, you, 
it's not much sample. He didn't give us much sample last year. He's still a young player. A lot of young players fail. I, I wonder if it could be tweaked to be a little bit more aggressive because 132 playing appearances is not nothing. He hit a ball 111 last year. He did have a 10% barrel rate. Um, you know, we got information about how often he chases balls outside of them, but not very much. How his walk rate would look, how his contact rate, 10% swing strike rate, that's pretty good. So I, I see all the process things, and I will take the over on the bat projection of 244, 16 homers, and 8 stolen bases any day. Uh, I, I think I might even take the over on the steamer projection. I'm pretty excited about this guy. I would have liked to have gotten him. Um, and, uh, and it turns out that I could have gotten him on the way back if I had, if I'd let it ride. Um, so maybe my conservatism hurt me a little bit, but, um, I think Gunnar Henderson is absolutely a firewall at the position. I, I know he's projected by the bat for $8 value. I would put him ahead of Ryan McMahon and Matt Chapman into the sort of 16 to $18 territory. And uh, and he's either the beginning of the next tier or the end of the first tier, depending on how much risk you can handle with young players. So I like him long term, and I think it it's exactly the same to me as the problem we faced last year for Bobby Witt Jr.'s rookie season. Where he goes in terms of ADP, what he did at the highest level in the minor leagues, the ways it can go right. I think you see maybe a, a little more patience from Henderson, but not so much that you're looking at a radically different but player. Also a lower draft price than Witt. Slightly right now in January, but... Oh, you think the helium is going to get to him? I think he's going to push up another... And actually, Bobby Witt picks. was like a fifth rounder last year, huh? He's sixth right now in my draft, he was. The most aggressive, most competitive leagues that happen in March, I think you're going to see Gunnar Henderson tick up a little bit. Everyone wants to be right about players like this, and it worked if you went after Witt, I didn't. I still had a pretty good year anyway. So you don't have to get these players, the FOMO players. I think the consideration that makes Henderson different is that as a third base eligible player this year where third base nosedives really hard, there's a different problem at hand. Witt was shortstop eligible last year at a position that was really deep. So you you weren't playing the same game of chicken at the position by passing on Witt. You were getting established guys that could do something similar, albeit in many cases with less speed. So I do think that's the one the one caveat that might lead Henderson to a team or two of mine, but I don't think I'm going to have him everywhere, even though I like the profile long-term, even though the team seems to be headed in the right direction. Here's some evidence. Maybe maybe a, a auction uh, situation where you can put exactly the dollar amount you want on him. You'll, you'll be more likely to end up with him. Yep. The uh, the evidence that he is the end of a tier in my draft, there were 35 picks between Gunnar Henderson and the next third baseman. Oof. So yeah. we had two full rounds of nothing before Max Muncy and Matt Chapman went in two. And after Max Muncy and Matt Chapman, there was another 35 picks and we still haven't stunned, signed a third baseman. So if you want evidence of the death of a position, that's it. Two picks in 65, two third basemen in 65 picks. Uh, and and I would argue that maybe Muncy and Chapman were jumped a little bit. It's a draft and hold situation. So Muncy, Muncy uh, is a second baseman uh, that plays a third. So there's a little bit of added value there. Um, but uh, as we speak, since this won't go up right away, I can admit that I'm considering taking Cabrian Hayes uh in this round just because third base sucks so much and I don't really want to take 
my second baseman, uh, my second third baseman much later. Yeah. So you already talked about players that by dollar value are really tier three players. Yeah. That's, this is how bad it gets that quick. Cabrian Hayes is a $9 player by the back. <laughs> where was tier two? Well, if tier two is a thing at third base, Bregman's kind of like the only guy Henderson, you could argue into it. And if you want to pull Arenado down, however you want to cluster it, they're spread out right now. I'm saying Bregman's the end of the first and Gunner is the middle. And the and if there's a middle, it's Gunner, Chapman. Yeah, you know, you don't have to do that. We could just say tier two <laughs> barely no exists. <laughs> and now we're into tier three. I think that's the yeah. that's the appropriate way to label it. Ryan McMahon has a double double digit projection, I guess I believe in. I hate this position. I, I really do. <laughs> it's <because> really bad. <laughs> Max Muncy is the ninth third base eligible player off the board at like pick 125 by January ADP. I'm worried about Muncy because he never had surgery on the elbow. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. He still has the eligibility at second and third, so you can move him around a little bit. Second's pretty crappy too, as we'll talk about in a future episode. The rules changes should be good for him. Should be good for him. I just think there's a legitimate major health concern. So I'm worried about him. Jose Miranda is fine, but I don't Does really like him projection? in that range. No, it's okay. The, the but bats projection is not as the bat says he's tier three or four. I think he's inflated coming off of last season. And I also, I think the players at other positions around pick 140 where Miranda goes are much, much better. So I'm not, not doing that. Eugenio Suarez is fine. He's a low average, big power masher, no real threats to his playing time. Uh, that's okay. My fear is that Suarez is going to creep up the board. Suarez is going to close the gap on Muncy. So you're going to have to pay up another round or two to get to him. And if you're buying Suarez and Muncy, man, I just see, see, that's where I kind of like Cabrian Hayes here is like with Muncy and Suarez, I see old guys, you know? And then mm-hmm. you're and Anthony Rendon, like old and injured. I'm just, I'm just like, there's injury there's there's age justin turner's in this tier like i don't want any part of that tier really and i moved alec bohm uh down into that tier and yandy diaz despite their double digit projections because i don't believe their double digit projections so now you've got five guys that go in a row that i don't want any part of i mean i could get argued into muncie if the the cost gets really low but muncie bohm suarez diaz rendon is a minefield I would say that three out of those five are going to be bad this year. That's not yeah. a good percentage. That's that's not where I want to live. So I'm considering taking Hayes to stay out of that group. I think I've actually convinced myself to that right there on, on air. <laughs> good, good pep talk for yourself. <laughs> In an effort to help everyone listening, I, I think the, the thing about Cabrian Hayes that there's two things about him that make him a little safer than a lot of this group. He doesn't have the terrible injury history that some of the older players have. And defensively, as we've said many times before, he is so good at third base, he plays every day. Most if defensive you were, bar in baseball last year, I think. If you were to draft him around pick 150 where he goes, and he repeated what he did in 2022, you'd be disappointed for sure, right? But you got 20 steals. The counting stats were light, 55 runs, 41 RBIs. Team should be a little better this year. So those numbers would probably go up even if he repeated the line. Maybe you don't get any more power, but most likely you've drafted power early anyway. And most likely, if you're even thinking about Hayes, you're looking for a little bit of speed, which he provides. I think he could be a good source of batting average. That's possible. K-rate's not out of control bad. 
So even if he doesn't hit the ball a lot harder and get to more power, I don't think he's necessarily going to be a 244 hitter in the long yeah, run. I it could be good in that category. Average, yeah. Projections got him at 256. I could live with that. So there's, there's a few ways he could just get better. Playing just time such is a really low safe. Low pull percentage, man. Like, can he get to his pull power? If he could get to his pull power, everything would change. I think the guy that I actually like who goes outside the top 200, I think he belongs inside this cluster, is Ryan McMahon. I think we saw a few signs of growth from him last year. Got the 20 homers, still has a strikeout problem, right? You're still giving up something in average, but you're giving up something in average with Muncie. You're giving up something in average with Chapman. And he's going to have a better Babbitt because of the, the home park. Yeah, and I think, again, you're sidestepping some of the, the terrible injury concerns that are sprinkled in to this group. So I think McMahon is really underpriced, and I guess the only thing you have to worry about is jumping him up too high just because you like him more than some of the guys that go earlier. Because if you miss, if you if you whiff on him and all those other backup low-average power mashers, if they all disappear, then you're in the dregs. Like, you're in a horrible, horrible spot. I do like Anthony Rendon. I've said it for months. I think it's reasonable, even with his terrible recent injury history. It's also one of the cheapest of that group, right? Of that of that old group. He's in the McMahon cluster price-wise right now. And I think that could go up if he's healthy in the spring and everything looks good. You know, he'll go from pick 250 to pick 175 or 200. But that's still, that's not bad. You're talking about a toss-up of Anthony Rendon versus Alec Bohm. I can't tell you what Alec Bohm does exceptionally well. Hit tool's pretty good, so average is okay. But I don't know. At least with Anthony Rendon, I think he's he's got that sort of core ability with a little extra power and plenty of run production. If the Angels stay reasonably healthy, Anthony Rendon's bounce back could be a pretty profitable one for us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, our injury projections are are tough. And it's where we're most human and we have to make our biggest guesses. It certainly hasn't looked good the last two seasons, but you can also argue that he's had a full off season to, you know, get, get past these. He's had the surgeries and, you know, maybe this is the year that he's finally healthy. Yeah. I think the fact that he was back at the very end of the year does mean something because he wasn't rehabbing all winter. He was preparing all winter. Yeah. There's a pretty big difference. In, it's a huge, that. we know that we know that that's a huge deal when we talk about pitchers, right? Mm-hmm. We're always much more likely to take someone coming off of TJ if he pitched a little, you know, because he made it, he made it back. He, he, you know, he made it to game shape at some point. So yeah, it's interesting to think about hitters that way too. Yeah. I think it matters that you're not limited in what you're able to do and going through your off season progression. I think of those, Older, low-average power guys, Muncie, Suarez, Chapman. I like Chapman the most. Still a good defender. Got past that bad injury. Jay's lineup, really good. Like Muncie, you could see the Dodgers, if a bunch of random stuff is happening, maybe they take a little bit of playing time away. I don't think Chapman loses playing time. Matt Chapman's still a max PT player, and I like that. They seem to have made a, a concerted effort to improve their defense this year. I mean, if you're... Think about the difference between, uh, you know, moving George Springer off a of center and 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 going from Teoscar Hernandez to Dalton Varsho, um, and putting Kiermaier in center. Um, you know, these all sort of things seem to line up to to improving the defense. You know, along with this weird outfield wall change. So, 
Um, you know, I think uh, I think Chapman is is one of those places where they're going to have to play because they're going to do some mixing and matching in in the outfield and at second. And like we often say, is like you know, there if you do some mixing and matching in certain places, you have to have certain places where you, there's a guy who posts almost every day. Yep. So I think that's exactly what Chapman brings as part of that that infield in Toronto. Now, I just don't think he's gonna like hit for a better batting going forward. Or no, know. but I think that's that's, that's pretty much the same thing I'd say about Suarez too. It's like eh, this yeah. is just sort of what you get, but it's it's fine. It works. They need him. He's important yeah. to their lineup right now. Very similar to Suarez times. actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why they get clustered together. So I think they're they're sort of your safest parachute options if you need power i think cabrian hayes works if you need the speed and i think the average comes out a little better with hayes failing that i think ryan mcmahon very underrated should be more in this group even with some of the flaws that he has customers are rushing to your store do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real pos you need shopify for retail shopify pos is your command center for your retail store from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify has everything you need to sell in person with shopify you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. What are your other contingencies, though? Like, <laughs> If you're... Looking for depth. Who do you like for depth at this position? You get outside the top 200 overall at third base, and I'm just curious, what what stands out to you in this range? I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't. I don't like it. Um, I you know I like Luis Luis Urias, uh, and we had a, a conversation about that. I think that Milwaukee depth chart is actually uh, something that uh, you know players of deep leagues need to kind of. A peruse and, and make some decisions about because uh, we had a slightly difference of opinion, I think, when we talked about it off-air, where I thought Brian Anderson is a guy who's going to play every day and the rest are going to be mix and match. You had a, you sort of, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you thought maybe Luis Urias was the, the guy who's going to play every day and everything else would be mix and match. Um, we might both be right, and the mixing and matching goes on around them. Uh, it, because the the types of players we're talking about that are you know going around them are untested, you know even Tyrone Taylor, uh, you know might be a small side platoon guy. Uh, Garrett Mitchell in center is not proven in any sort of way, and then Bryce Turang coming up in the minor leagues, uh, you know he could stay in the minor leagues, you know with the with the depth they have now. So. Um, I kind of think Luis Urias plays second, Brian Anderson plays third, and the rest is uh, determined by how well Tyrone Taylor, Garrett Mitchell, and Bryce Turing play. 
Right. Because you can, if you need to, you could move Brian Anderson to a corner outfield spot. And that would probably come at the expense yeah, of Tyrone Turang, Taylor. If Turang's amazing. Yeah, if he, right, because then Turang I, plays second and Urias slides back over to third. But then again, I, I was looking at Turang's line and he was below average at almost every stop in the minor leagues until he was just a 108 WRC plus as an older AAA guy. Like, I don't know if I believe in Bryce Turing. I think there's so. a good chance he's more of a super utility guy than an everyday player on a playoff caliber team. And that might be true of Tyrone Taylor, too. Of the three young guys, am I wrong to like Garrett Mitchell the best? I mean, most prospect pedigree, uh, can play center the best, probably in the most premium defensive position, uh, power and speed, I think. I don't know. Not The power hasn't always been there. Yeah, I think what I like to use when you have a depth, there's plenty of depth charts that are built this way now. You have to look at how everyone projects against each other. How important is this player's bat to this team? Luis Arias is projected to be the fifth best hitter for the Brewers. So Rowdy, (laughs) Winker, (laughs) Yelich, and Adames are better, right? Winker coming off two surgeries. I like him, but if Winker's hurt, that makes Arias even more important to how they score runs. You get behind that. It's like, okay, William Contreras. Yep, he's the starting catcher. He's their sixth best offensive player. Keston Hira, it only works in a bench role. Tyrone Taylor, no guarantee he's an everyday guy. They've got a bunch of other outfielders. Sal Friedlich could come up and play. If you use Steamer instead of uh, the bat, Brian Anderson would be in this mix. Steamer yeah. likes him to be uh, probably the sixth or seventh best hitter on the Brewers. Right, so that kind of makes him a priority to play. And then you know, Terang comes out pretty low in the projections yeah. probably because of that lack of power in the minor leagues. And league-adjusted yeah. offensive performances are really important to consider. I think... That number, like that that performance from Terang, points more toward a part-time player, at least in the short term. So uh, I, I think Luis Arias ends up being someone that I really like after pick 200. I just like the versatility, too. Second, third, sure. It's nice to have at least one player on your roster that can go corner middle. And having a third spot, being second, third, and short, I think that's really, really nice to have. Uh, Justin Turner, I mean, the way the Red Sox are built, the projections are always pretty steady. Also, do you believe like, you can do it for one more DH year? Now, though, yeah, you know, he's a DH. People aren't as good as as DH at as they're not as good as they normally are at DH. Well, I wonder how much they're gonna are they gonna DH Turner half the time, three quarters of the time. Devers is gonna get some days off his legs, I would imagine. And then there's the whole Tristan Cassis at first question. Yeah, so I think there's. There's not necessarily like a 150 games at DH for Justin Turner. But do you believe in the in the bat still being good enough to help as a corner infield filler? I do think so. It just strikes me as an AL only uh, situation where, you know, if I'm taking that, if I'm taking Justin Turner, like what am I taking Justin Turner to do? Like as the eight, like he's, he's like maybe the 16th best third baseman. 18th best third baseman. Like, I don't want to be my starting third baseman. I think you're taking him as a corner. But then there are so many more first basemen that are going to be valued higher. So I don't even think you really want him as a turn, as a corner. Now you're taking him as a, as a bench third baseman? No. I think AL only third baseman. Draft and hold second third baseman. Mm. Do you feel the same way about Yohan Mankata? 
the only difference for me is the age is is key. Like I know the projections are very close to each other, but Moncada's 27, and we were talking about a guy who had long COVID and has had some real injury problems. And you know, another year away from COVID could actually be a big deal for him. And we know that he has, uh, you know, he's had better seasons in the past. I, I could see him. Uh, I, I if there's a playing time like between the two of them, I think Mankata's gonna have more playing time. Upside between the two of them, Mankata's gonna have the upside. So I'm taking Mankata over Turner. Yeah, I think I would probably do that too. I think Mankata ends up being a little overlooked right now. He's going around pick 350 in January drafts. Like that's that's probably an overcorrection. Yandy Diaz versus Yohan Mankata. I, I at least have seen more in-game power from Mankata, so I can I can buy into that. I know there's batting average downside on Mankata, whereas Diaz is actually a, an asset in the category, like a late source of plus batting average, which is hard to get. Uh, but I think Mankata, people have soured on him a little bit too much based on you know some of the things he's shown us earlier in his career, especially. And the fact that he is not that old at this time, he's still 20, he'll be 28 in May. That's it's not dust. Yeah, that's he could easily he could actually he could actually have a peak season. I mean, that's not that crazy. So uh, the projections have him above average. The team needs him uh, to play well. It's twenty seven, another year removed. I, I, you know, I know that he's got flaws, but I like him better than than Turner. And, and then you know, once you get past that group, and you're talking more about these sort of late uh, possibilities. Um, you know, uh, I like the Luis Urias and then even later, Brian Anderson, those those two I brought up. Um, Josh Jung, uh, I think, is one of the very few, maybe the only kind of young third baseman that I think will play every day, allow him to struggle, that has upside as presented by his 10% barrel rate and his awesome uh, minor league uh, stats other than his than his his last AAA spot where he was just barely above league average, that is coming off of injury. So I think another year removed from that massive injury that he had, I could see him really coming into his own and showing power, patience, not necessarily contact, not necessarily batting average, uh, but maybe even a little speed. So he's a guy that you could take late if you are desperate for upside. Uh, you know, then there's some guys I've mentioned before in other, uh, casts, uh, such as Isak Paredes and Spencer Steer, um, as guys who I think will play a lot, who do have some upside. Um, and, uh, you know, especially for Paredes, like I think Paredes deserves, I don't know where we should highlight him because he plays everywhere. Uh, but this seems to be a position of the biggest need, maybe even more than second base. So Isak Paredes gets my highlight right now. If you took everything but BABIP off of the board, you would think this guy was hitting 300. He has a mm. 17% K rate with a 6% swing strike rate, a 6% barrel rate, hit the ball 110 last year, uh, has a good eye at the plate, Has uh, is not a, a total zero with the speed. He hit 205 because he had a 195 BABIP. Even though his career BABIP is 217, and he hits some fly balls. I don't think he deserves that sort of BABIP. So, if you give him a 260 or 270 BABIP, he could hit 250, 260 next year with 20, 25 homers. All that's on the board. He hit 20 homers and 380 point plate appearances last year. If you need some late juice at the third base position, I think it's Isak Paredes. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the 
the quality of the contact is good enough. A lot of hard hit balls. Uh, you're 100% right. That average came out much lower than it should have for a player with those skills. Even even if he's a, a bad runner that hits the ball into the shift and hits too many fly balls, that's not who he is. A 195 BABIP is just abnormal. Just going to be 24 years old in February. And we talked about Kyle Manzardo on the first base preview. I think of the stack of players on their first base depth chart, Paredes is the one who's most convincing to me as a possible everyday guy. He's the guy that could take over, kind of push Harold Ramirez into more of that part-time role. Uh, we could say, oh, they, they, they decided to give 450-plus plate appearances to Paredes, and, and look, they were rewarded with cheap power. So I think that's a really good call. I've liked Paredes for a long time. It's just sort of a bonus that you get him at so many other spots uh, along the way. The prospect landscape of this position is weird. You mentioned Josh Young. I like him a lot. I think that lineup's getting a lot better. I think the skills we've seen when he's been on the field in the upper levels of the minor leagues around injuries are, are really steady. Um, so I have no problem taking a shot on him where he's going. I think same as we've said with other positions, you can't take a chance on prospects everywhere in redraft. So if this is where the flaw is going to be, one of these multi-position eligible glue guys becomes even more important to stash away on your roster. Uh, Miguel Vargas could play a lot at third base and pick up third base eligibility again, but based on the way the rules work, is only first base eligible. Otherwise, he would stand he out. Played primarily in the minor played leagues, seventy plus games at, at AAA at that spot's the place he played most by far. But the rules are written the way they are, so he's first base only for now. Then there's Jordan Walker, who because of Nolan Arenado is not going to play third base when he comes but up might in be St. Louis. eligible at third base. <laughs> eligible at third base in a lot of places. And, okay, the question is, on that St. Louis depth chart, where does he break in? Can you come up with the narrative that gives Jordan Walker an everyday role relatively quickly in 2023? And if you can do that, what does he do with it? Does he do enough to become an immediate impact player, even in shallow mixed leagues? Um, I'm not paying the cost. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not paying the freight because I believe in Newt Barr, O'Neill and Carlson in, in the outfield. And I just don't see an everyday role there. Carlson is the weakest, but I don't know that I want to play O'Neill, Newt Barr or Walker in center. Um, so I think Carlson has held on to that job uh, by by actually his defensive chops. Um, in the infield, yes, Brendan Donovan and Nolan Gorman is not a great situation at second, but I don't see Jordan Walker as having the kind of defensive agility to be a good second baseman. Um, DH is a really natural place. He could end up a DH, but I don't think teams bring up young guys like this to be a DH. Juan Yepes is not Jordan Walker. Jordan Walker is like untouchable in in trade talks. Juan Yepes is the total guy that you would bring up and put in DH. You know what I mean? Like a just an older guy used to be playing another position, doesn't really have a glove, uh, can rake. You know, at every minor league position, yeah, just bring him up. Uh, but Jordan Walker is not the same as Juan Yepes, uh, I don't think. And so, uh, I and, and then Juan Yepes was 9% better than the league average last year with the bat and is projected to be 9 to 20% better than the league average of the bat this year. So Juan Yepes doesn't seem that ripe for the taking either. Um, so, I don't know, man. I think it'll take an injury. And yes, Tyler Neal gets injured a lot. So maybe Jordan Walker is up. But timing that and getting the most value out of that, what kind of an injury is it for Tyler O'Neill? 
Is it a two-week injury? And Jordan Walker comes up for two weeks and then goes back down? Congratulations, you just spent all of your fab. <laughs> or you nursed a guy on your roster forever for two weeks, you know, for a two-week stint. So, and then lastly, um, and this is more just of a scouting aspect, um, I found his upper half to be uh, fairly rigid um, at the fall league. And um, I tend to focus on the 16% swing strike rate and the 18% swing strike rate at, at high A and think that this guy is going to strike out 28 to 30% of the time in the major leagues. So I think it'll be a nice power, but uh, 30% strikeout rate in the major leagues, I don't think means he hits the ground running and takes the job right away. I'm more in uh, on Jordan Walker. It's, I don't know. I'm. I'm. I think I'm in the minority on this one. I think this is the sweet spot where I love to throw a dart on someone that people have as a top ten prospect because it's around pick three hundred right now. Even if you move him up to pick two hundred or two twenty five, it is not a. It's not a high cost. You're right. Let's say he's having a great spring. Right? There's going to be helium because there's power and there's speed and he's young and he's just. He, he's a tank. He's a big dude. He looks. He looks like a big leader. But he's having already. a great spring. Whose job does he take? Yepeses, they just they just like Dude, we don't we'll we'll rotate him in and out of DH, and O'Neill will play DH. Yeah, I don't think you have to play Juan Yepes. I think if Jordan Walker's ready, you say that dude's our future. Juan Yepes is a nice player, but he's just a guy. We play Walker, and then you just rotate your outfielders. Yeah, you you could have. I guess you could have Yepes and and Walker on the same team. You could easily do that. I think and five. That's your five outfielders and DH. I think it works. And you could whittle away at the playing time of Dylan Carlson if you don't like what you see. You could let injuries dictate it. I mean, there's there are ways for this to work. I just think Walker does enough things well. I, I think maybe the swing and miss concerns that you outlined are not being reflected in the projections right now, but the projections have me pretty optimistic that if he does get that chance, he's going to hold his own. And I think the Cardinals, they could use one more high-impact offensive player in the mix. And I think Walker has a better chance to be that guy than Nolan Gorman in the second base DH mix right now. And I think Walker has a better chance to be that guy than Yepes. I think Yepes has the safer floor, but if you're playing to win, you're playing to be a playoff team that does damage. I think Jordan Walker is part of how you get there. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I, I think it's more like he could force the issue and change the plans with a couple other guys. Cause you've seen enough Dylan Carlson. Like you, how much more Dylan Carlson do you need to see before you can start to lower his playing time slightly? if you have someone else that is clearly ready to do something good. So outs above average are not, um, it's not, uh, it's supposed to be equivalent when you look at outs above average uh, for a corner outfielder versus center fielder. It's supposed to be equivalent. It's supposed to just look at things like, you know, how far did you run to get that catch? How hard was that catch? You know, it's supposed to be agnostic of where you, where you are. However, center fielders, are tasked with different, more difficult balls. So they have a higher sample of difficult balls to try and get to, you know? So uh, it's not exactly equivalent, but it is interesting to note that Tyler O'Neill and Lars Nootbaar had the same outs above average as Adolis Garcia last year. So they, they were above average defenders. Maybe, uh, maybe they see, uh, they, they think in uh, St. Louis that, they can they can run one of those guys out there. Dylan Carlson um, has to add some bat speed 
to to his equation to even get to the projections that he's being projected for i think uh last year's uh line is looks great in every way except for the batted ball stuff it's just not a good max ev not a good barrel rate um However, I think with the defensive part, he's going to keep that job. Looking back to see how did they compare, how much more valuable was uh, the double-A performance of Dylan Carlson versus Jordan Walker? And Dylan Carlson really has let us down. <laughs> a 142 WRC plus as a 20-year-old in 2019. He was going to the moon, right? Yeah. I mean, Walker coming off the season he just had, which was fantastic. Also a 20-year-old at double-A, 128 WRC+. plus. The Carlson yeah. season was even better. But this is where the contact quality becomes really important. And yeah. I wonder how much different was the quality of contact Dylan Carlson was making. And age to level matters, and Dylan Carlson can the still EVs get a lot are, better. Walker yeah. hits the ball a lot harder than Dylan Carlson did, doesn't he? He does. The EVs are so, better. There's a, a recent uh, release from Baseball America where you can see the top prospects, um, average EVs. It's not the greatest uh, stat point, but it does show you that I think Jordan Walker was uh, averaging 92. It's way better than some of the 85s you've got on there. Like Sal Freelich, I think, had like an 85, you know. Oh, but. thanks for making me feel good and then making me feel terrible <laughs> in the same sentence. It's wonderful. Sweet. <laughs> but... Uh, any case, uh, I've also seen uh, some stuff from Prospect Lives where Prospects Live where they had I think Max EV and he he was in the top tenth uh, percentile of of the minor leagues in Max EV too. So I yeah yeah he hits the ball harder and it is it is the, one of the missing things that we don't have on the outside when we're trying to appreciate how good prospects are. That's why uh, you've got to uh, take a look at uh, scouting grades for raw power uh, and game power in particular. Uh, Carlson was 45-55 and uh, Raw Power 50-55 and Walker that's at Fangraphs with their their helpful uh, tool-by-tool grades. Uh, Jordan Walker has 70-80 Raw Power. Uh, so that's a, that's a huge difference. Aha. Uh-huh. See? I'm talking you into Jordan Walker. No, I don't know if I'm actually doing that. <laughs> I love him where he's going right now. Think about what could go right because at that price, if it doesn't go right right away, you can move on Take a chance on him once he gets the call later on in the season. You know, we're talking about liking Matt Mervis, uh, you know, as a prospect, if you needed it, a position need, uh, there's very few of those for third base. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you, if you find yourself, uh, you know, late in uh, your draft, a draft and hold and your, your first, your, your second third baseman uh, ended up being Jose Miranda or Brian Anderson, uh, then you are in some trouble and you might need some upside of the position and there's very few places to get it. Uh, you know, I might go with Isak Paredes because he's going to play um, and he's going to play from the beginning of the season and he's got maybe some eligibilities that'll help me. But I would, I think I'd probably take Jordan Walker over Spencer Steer who's, uh, he's going to play, but he, he's not as exciting, you know? So I, I moved him up a little bit in my, in my headpiece, but uh, I don't know if I'm going to make him a target. I, I'd rather, you know what I'd rather do at third base? Stay out of that part. <laughs> Not get into this problem in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I agree, but hey, there's only so many third basemen to go around. That's Things true. break a certain way, and you got to have some backup plans in place. Uh, the last of the interesting prospects, I think, is Brett Beatty, at least for the the early part of, of 2023. 
I really like what he did last season in the minors. I, I look at this depth chart. He's a third baseman who reasonably could take time away from Eduardo Escobar, or he could end up in left field a little bit. I think that's a, it's a little harder to see just because they just added Tommy Pham. So they have Mark Canna and Tommy Pham reunited with Nimmo. They got Marte. Outfield's a little more crowded. But his natural position at third base, and even DH. Yeah, we're a, a pro Daniel Vogelbach podcast, but this is kind of like the Yepes thing, where it's like, Daniel Vogelbach is a guy that goes around on waivers, gets tr- sent around in minor trades, and is fine until you have someone better. And Brett Beatty might be that someone better. So do you have any optimism here? There's also uh, the question of where to play Eduardo Escobar. Eduardo Escobar had minus six outs above average. That's 224 out of 268 last year in outs above average. Uh, Even his Fangraph's defensive stats were the worst of his career. Uh, He seems to be moving off of the position, uh, off of the defensive position. He could be uh, an interesting uh, situation to have a DH as a, as a, uh, as a, as a switch hitter. Also, uh, just think about it this way, not necessarily your DH, but plays more DH and is de-emphasized on the defensive depth chart, in other words. Uh, also, his projection is for basically league average with the bat. Beatty's uh, with Steamer, obviously Steamer is, is aggressive, but it's 120 WRC+. plus. He's easily the best bat. Uh, he's not, uh, and he's not that much of a slouch defensively. I think, you know, if he doesn't break camp with the big league team because they want Guillaume and Escobar uh, on this team and they have now uh, a bunch of outfielders and they want Vogelbach, uh, I could see uh, Beatty not breaking camp, but one injury and he might Wally Pip somebody. Uh, He could easily push Escobar. In fact, by projections, he's the better player than Escobar right now. So push Escobar into a timeshare DH situation, whatever it is. Beatty's exciting. Um, and I think the team has a need for him. Uh, I, I don't know why I'm a little bit more excited than uh, about Beatty than Walker. I mean, he makes a lot more contact. Um, they're both quality teams with deep depth charts that don't need to break camp with this player. I would say that the Mets have more of a need at third than the Cardinals have in the outfield. I think that's fair. It's not a, a, a massive difference, but the couple things I really liked about Beatty from a season ago is that he lifted the ball a lot more often. If you look back at some of the, the numbers we'd seen at high A, 51.6% ground ball rate, not quite what you're looking for for a guy with that big-time power. He got that down to 42.6%, so we saw that improvement. But it came back. Came back during his little time at AAA and his brief time in the big leagues. I still think he's he's figuring it out. I asked him about that. I asked him about that at the Futures game, and he said, uh, I'm just trying to hit the ball hard. And that's a viable solution. I mean, you know the Rays would love this guy. 113 max EV, 50% ground ball rate. Tampa, call up Tampa and get whatever you want for him. Yeah, lifting lifting the pulled balls, though. I think that's something we could see a little more of from Brett Beatty. If I take one shot between the two, it's Walker over Beatty. He does go earlier, but I think you're right to point out the flaws of Eduardo Escobar because that, paired with Vogelbach being the primary DH, it's not, it's not a combo to overcome. The roster gets a little funky, though. If you have Vogelbach and Ruff, 
and Escobar, and none of those guys are good at playing defense, that doesn't really work either. Like That's probably one too many guys that don't play defensively. I think Ruff is the guy who loses his job if Beatty pushes Escobar off of third. Because you've got Tommy Pham and Mark Kanha, who are not amazing defensively, although Kanha's all right, and you know Pham's actually pretty poor, but Pham's a righty. Right? Yeah, Pham's yep. a righty. So Pham could easily become... Uh, your outfielder slash righty DH. If you even if you keep Vogelbach, whereas Ruff, I don't know, it's really rough. <laughs> it, it is. I don't really want him playing in the outfield. Uh, and uh, you know, if he can't, if he's not going to hit lefties, then uh, he's going to be in trouble. A few other uh, guys getting prolonged opportunities, at least potentially. How about Jamer Candelario going to the Nationals? There's a there's a boring old guy that that has a ton of opportunity and could be way better and he's playing better in the uh, in the Dominican Winter Leagues too. Hey, he's not even that old. I mean, he's he's old-ish. He's 29. But getting out of Comerica, going into Nationals Park, there's a nice little park factors boost. Yeah, and really, you know, his barrel rate was in his max EV was right where it was. He just chased too much last year. It was the the highest chase rate of his career by a lot. And I think that that affected his batted ball quality because he, you know, maybe making contact on pitches outside of the zone it led to the highest, one of the highest swing strike rates of his career. So I think, you know, uh, if they can find a way to have him chill out, <laughs> that's a little bit tough with the, with also putting him and being like, this is one of your last great chances of your career, <laughs> but chill <laughs> out. Don't chase anything. <laughs> but, but you know, having an everyday thing, maybe he doesn't have a good first couple of weeks, but then he realizes, man, they're going to give me all season. Then, uh, then, I think he, uh, then I think he can chill out and get to 240, 15, 17 homers. I mean, that's when you're, when you're, that's where you're shopping and that's fine. But J.D. Davis, you know, we thought this was interesting when the Mets and Giants uh, hooked up on that trade, the one that sent Darren Ruff to the Mets in July or August. Davis has had good underlying numbers in the past, has shown at times an ability to keep the K rate down. It's just like, has he ever had the full run with near everyday playing time where all the skills have showed up at once? And is there any reason to believe that that could happen in San Francisco? I mean, the closest time that it did get to happening was in San Francisco. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, was this the late season? You got 158 plate appearances in two months with San Francisco, right? Like... What does that what does that average out to? Uh, it's pretty it's about five five hundred yeah. But the K rate was up. That's the only like if you're picking it's like the K rate didn't come down thirty five point four percent K rate. Chase barreled a ton. I think he was I think he was he was just trying to show him he could be an everyday player. You know, mm. uh, it didn't come with uh it didn't it didn't come with like a four percent walk rate or anything. So. Uh, you know, he was 42% better than the league average with, with, uh, with the Giants. The one thing that I thought was really interesting was watching him prepare at third base a lot, knowing that this team has uh, put people, has pushed the envelope a little defensively on players sometimes. Um, and uh, just, I know that the reputation is that J.D. Davis has bricks for hands, but I thought he looked fine at third base. And if he looks fine at third base, Wilmer Flores is getting old. 
He's a right-hander that's, you know, a little bit better cast as as, hit, as hitting his lefties. David VR did not hit fastballs at all last year um, and had a pretty bad strikeout rate. So you're asking him to do a lot of damage on breaking balls, um, you know, for him to, to be to be even league average, I think. So I think there's opportunity for J.D. Davis at two positions is the long wind, the, the short of it. I think there's yeah. opportunity at first where Lamont Wade Jr. you know hits a lot of fly balls and and sometimes gets into that really low batting average, you know, all or nothing territory. And you know, he could be at least be a platoon partner there. And then I think there's opportunity at third base. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's going to work out at least in terms of getting him closer to that one very good season. The closest thing we saw, it was almost a full season. It was 140 games, only 453 plate appearances. Back in 2019, when Davis had that 21.4% K rate, popped the 22 homers. Of course, that was the year of the rabbit ball. But everything happened at once. And I think that was sort of like optimal usage, like small side platoon, but then more playing time on top of that. That's basically what they did with Davis that year. So maybe without the average, we could see something similar for him in San Francisco. And he's late, late. I still think he's like, what, like NL only reserve pick and... Yeah, it's kind of like the, I think it was the Brandon Belt cluster at the end where it's like, you can't really take him in a, a mixed league with moves to start the year, but you kind of have to watch and be quick to jump early on. If the playing time is at the higher end of expectations, you could pick him up, but I don't know if you necessarily want to draft him with one of your last picks and in a 15 draft team and, hold, and like, what about draft and hold? I guess it'd be okay as like a, He's a fine there. third or fourth, you know, like yep. a, a fourth guy. Depth corner in a draft and hold, totally fine for NL only. Because he'll really, probably actually play. really like him for NL only. Yeah, he'll, he'll play. probably play. Yeah, I love him as an NL re- uh, only reserve pick if he if he lasts that far. Even as a dollar guy, I think I'd be all right with him. Yeah, I think he's great in that spot. I think you know, DJ LeMahieu, I guess, fits more into this conversation. He should have gone a little earlier in the conversation, kind of up where Moncada goes. The reason I want to fold him into the late late darts conversation because his projections are awful. Yeah, he's his ADP has him like still playing every day. His projections don't. I kind of think he's going to play every day because we were looking at this depth chart out of so he's the main third baseman. It depends on how much they want to sit Josh Donaldson. So there's kind of a few questions wrapped in here. How much does Donaldson sit? How often is Donaldson hurt? How often is Anthony Rizzo hurt? And how often is Giancarlo Stanton hurt? And how often is Giancarlo Stanton play the outfield? And they, that's the other thing. Could they put Stanton? In left field, right? If they don't like what they're getting from Hicks, Cabrera, some of the options they have out there, if they want to put Stanton in the outfield, then they've got the DH spot open. So Donaldson and LeMahieu and Rizzo could all be in the lineup together between first and third and DH. So I guess where are you at on playing time for LeMahieu and Josh Donaldson? Donaldson's in the the dusty corner of the closet where you need to run the vacuum and LeMahieu still just barely inside the top 300 because he's got first, second, and third base eligibility and, and pretty safe skills. I actually think the sharper your league is, the better LeMahieu becomes as a pick hmm. because the sharper your league is, the more likely they're hewing close to their projection system. You know, um, Of course, the, the very sharpest uh, of projection systems and leagues uh, will have their own custom playing time number. right? Uh, but if they're just pulling from fan graphs, uh, and getting this 400 plate appearance number, they're not going to draft him. He's just not going to go at that ADP. So I don't really like him at ADP, 
but I love him if he starts to drop because uh, we're all looking at the same projection system. Yeah, DJ LeMayhew has had over 500 plate appearances every year since 2014, with 2020 being an exception. He was pacing out to be an everyday guy that year. So, yeah. you know, that's the playing time is there, and he is under contract through 2026. I don't think you look at a guy who's under contract for four more years and you just make him a bench. Uh, you're you're back. You're a 15 million dollar backup now. I yeah. know the Yankees are near top end in payroll and can do something like that. But and Donaldson is so close to being done. I I know that the the defensive numbers are still good and they they're they're part of what keeps him on the field. And he did still manage to be around league average and hit 15 homers, but it didn't look good. And they seem to not want to play him. And the fans don't like him. And even the projections are for like just barely above league average. Um, I could see if he if he comes out next year and is playing similarly that he did last year, they could just make the switch. I mean, it's the last year of uh, Donaldson's contract. And, uh, and LeMayu could be a better player. I mean, just on OBP... Uh, Donaldson's projected for 318 to 320, and, and LeMahieu's projected for 340 to 350. I know that that's not everything. There's power, too. But, like, you know, what does this team need more? Somebody to get on base or someone to hit for homers? And I kind of think they might need someone to get on base more. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm on, I'm on the LeMahieu side of this one. If you have to choose between the two for who actually ends up with more playing time, factoring in health and how the pieces fit, all those other factors that we're talking about. You mentioned Spencer Steer, I think, at the end of the first base preview. He's third base eligible in a lot of leagues, so just a, a heads up that if you are looking for some late darts, he could be pretty interesting with a, a nice path. You know, they do have Ellie de la Cruz uh, coming up, but they, he's going to play shortstop when he comes up because the, the opposition is Kevin Newman and Jose Barrero, who haven't shown anything. They do have, um, who's the other guy they got? Um, Noel Marte. Yep, and they got Christian Encarnacion Strand coming too. But Noel V. Marte didn't even hit double A last year. So I don't think that Noel V. Marte is necessarily a candidate to come up with that much this year. No, he's uh, more of an end-of-year call-up, you know, kind yeah. of similar to Henderson and Carroll from last season if it happens, and otherwise an early 2024 ETA. Strand did did uh, did hit double A, Um but it was a step back for him in Cincinnati. So I do think that they're going to send him back to double A uh, to see what they've got. And and then uh, with Steer, one thing I didn't like when they brought him up was they played him all over. So I, th- I do kind of think that maybe he's headed towards uh, utility. Uh, but I think to start the year, um, they will play him. What's interesting, Vada will be out to start the year, won't he? Yeah, I haven't looked at his timetable recently. So who's going to play first? Myers? They get more of a look at Fairchild and Friedel and Fraley in the outfield? Yeah, probably. Torn left rotator cuff. Yeah, that's a pretty big injury. That's a, it's going to be a close one, I think, for Votto. Yeah, I think he might miss the, might miss the beginning of the season. But then Steer could also uh, be included in the first base mix. Um, but I, 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 think he's, I think he's got a large runway. I think he's at least got a month. Uh, to start the season where he'll get near everyday playing time. And there's there's stuff to like about his about his abilities, if if not uh, to you know put him necessarily in the top echelon of, of prospects or anything. He's 25 and you know his glove hasn't looked amazing in any one position. 
So I think that pretty much covers it. Third base, uh, have a plan. Try to go early. If you can't go early, don't <laughs> don't wait too long in the middle. At least seek out the player you want, especially the kind that fits your build, right? If you if you can afford the batting average hit, there's a few guys that mash Chapman, Suarez among them. If you really need a more balanced player, maybe a speed first player, like a Brian Hayes works. If you need something kind of in between, maybe it's Ryan McMahon. There are a handful of prospects like the same like the same thing we said at the end of the first base episode. If you're going prospect at third base. You're going to need a veteran oatmealy or multiple eligible position uh, player to actually cover that spot to make sure that you have enough playing time. But this is a, a bit of a, a funky time at third base. I don't remember it being quite like this years ago. I think last year was a little similar to this year. This year seems a tad worse overall. But Brian Anderson and Isaac Paredes, along with uh, you know a prospect, I like that idea. Yeah, you can you can find it. There's a few guys real late that will play enough to keep things afloat even in deeper leagues. Uh, as we go, a reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can email us at rates and barrels at theathletic.com on Twitter. Eno is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. The position preview series rolls on. Come back soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>